The following podcast contains explicit language. So, Liz, what were you doing when you were 24? I was in New York. I was writing young adult books. Wow. What, what about you? What were you doing? I was I was doing Teach for America. Oh, in North Carolina. Yeah. That's when I came to visit you and you picked me up in the turquoise giant pickup truck. Good times. I thought you'd lost your mind. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Yes, and today it's all about you guys. It's a listener questions and comments episode. Yes, as we've been decompressing from our pilot shoot, we've been going through our Happier in Hollywood inbox. We were way behind. And there was so much good stuff, we decided our inbox needed its own episode. It did indeed. So let's just dive in. First, we have a writing career question from Amy, who wrote, I'm a copywriter in the advertising industry, and I found that there are a lot of parallels between the advertising industry and Hollywood. I'm just at the start of my career in advertising. What do you wish you knew at this stage of your career? Oh, wow. So much. Um, Amy says in her email that she's 24 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, when we were 24, we weren't even in L.A. You were teaching and yeah. I was editing young adult books. There's many things I wish I knew. Um, one of them is that nobody knows anything. Mm, that's good. You know, it's like you feel like everyone knows so much more than you do, but they really don't necessarily. So just... Keep doing things even if you think you can't do them. And, like, no one will question it if you just do it. Mm. One thing I wish I had known when I was 24 is that it's a long road. Mm. You don't have to have accomplished everything already. That is a great thing to know. We didn't even live in L.A., as you said. Like, you just don't know what's ahead. We didn't even have the notion of being TV writers <laughs> no. when we were 24. The other thing I would say to a 24-year-old just starting out is do everything well. Like, if your boss likes coffee, know how your boss likes coffee and give your boss that coffee. Because these little things, even if they're not technically part of your job, will be noticed. Yes. You can move up by just being indispensable in a myriad of ways. I'm like, I, the coffee example, I don't know about, like... Because you don't want women to get into presenting <laughs> exactly. coffee to people. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but whatever, like, if, uh, let's use a copy example, that, you know, if you if your boss needs copy for something, mm -hmm. do, if he asks for five, do ten. Mm. But not, like, five good ones and five crappy ones. Yeah. Do ten awesome ones. Yes. Like, just take the extra step. Take the extra step. I mean, our agent, Matt, said your job is what you do 9 to 5 and your yeah. career is what you do from 5 to midnight. I think he actually said 9 to 7 and 7 to midnight is the career. So it's like just put a lot into it. Yeah. Um, okay. And then we got an email from Beth who said, just listen to episode 43 about what's in your bag and have to wonder, especially on International Women's Day, do male screenwriters lug around a bag with all their stuff in it as well? 
Yes, they do. <laughs> as a matter of fact, yeah, they oftentimes have messenger bags uh-huh. that are filled with various binders and scripts and iPads. And then they'll often have a little duffel bag as well with winter clothes uh, for when it gets cold. Yeah, specifically if they're doing a pilot. Yeah. yeah, yes, if they're doing a pilot. So, yes, the bags aren't just lady bags. Men have bags, too. <laughs> and then Deborah had a TV writing question also. She said, my husband has been watching old episodes of Lie to Me on Hulu, and I noticed your name as the writers of one of them. Just curious, how long does it take to write a script for a one-hour-long drama for TV? As long as you have is yeah. the short answer. <laughs> I mean, it can take anywhere from a day. A writer we know named Jane Espenson once wrote an entire Buffy script in 24 hours, taking out eight hours to sleep, an hour for the Gilmore Girls, and an hour to watch Celebrity Mole. <laughs> um, so it can be done. She's like, I just didn't have, I just never stopped. Just right. those other hours, I was just writing straight through. Now, Jane happens to be an incredibly talented writer who could pull that off. But it tells you that it could be anywhere from a day to two weeks would be wonderful. I don't think we've ever had two weeks. No, in theory, I think the Guild says, or, you know, the sort of, a rule that's just out there is that you have two weeks to write and then a week to rewrite. But I mean, literally never have we Not had even that. on a pilot. I no. don't think have we ever had two full weeks to write a draft. No, I don't think so either. Speed is of the essence <laughs> when it comes to television writing. Exactly. Then our next question comes from Jennifer, who's an aspiring screenwriter looking to break in. She says, I'm wondering if I can get some advice from you both as producers and writers. I've won screenwriting contests and had a handful of general meetings, but have yet to actually break in. I know they say good writing rises to the top, and now I've been at this screenwriting thing for almost a decade and am still determined to make it work. Not sure if I'm crazy, and some days it feels like I am. What advice do you have for a writer like me who feels like they're spinning their wheels? I've had success with contests, etc., but getting people to read your work is very hard. I've had managers interested in me, yet my writing has not gone anywhere. I wondered if either of you had any brief thoughts or advice that has meant a lot to you over the years when it comes to your careers. My approach in 2018 is to seek out people in the industry I like and ask them for advice and be more direct about what it is I want. I'd love to hear any thoughts you guys have on what has worked out and what hasn't in the industry. Maybe it can help me figure out why I continue to strike out. Well, Sarah, let's assume Jennifer is a good writer. We don't know if she is because we haven't read her writing, but let's assume that she is. Yes. Because as we know, a lot of people think they're good writers and they're not. But let's say that (laughs) Jennifer is is a good writer. Yes, let's make that assumption. Um, I think the best advice we can give her is to write something that really stands out, which sounds obvious, but isn't necessarily. We've talked about how there are basically like five pilot scripts. There's the doctor who sees dead people. There's the fish out of water supernatural. Um, The lawyer who breaks all the rules. Oh, yeah. Um, And we won't go into them all. But (laughs) like there's basically like five pilot scripts. So. So many things we get, we've read before. And the names are different and the plot might be a little bit different, but it's really just the same thing in a different way. Um, So the first thing is finding something that is truly different that's going to stand out. 
On page one. Yes. And the, the other thing is, and I know she, Jennifer says she's a screenwriter, not a TV writer, uh, meaning she's writing movies, but the same holds true for movies. I'm sure there's five movies that everybody writes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you want the first page to be great. If yeah. there's not something great on the first page, the, your reader's probably not going to get to page two. Certainly not past page five. So that's kind of the bad news. The good news is it really only takes one script. Yes. Like, if you have that one script, it can completely make a career. Yeah. One thing that we did back when we were starting out, um, everyone wrote spec scripts for shows. So you would write a script of an existing show, and that's what people would read to hire you. And what we did to stand out, and it was very consciously to stand out, Mm -hmm. was we wrote an Oz spec. Oz was like a crazy, dark, violent show about prison and we both loved it. And we said, let's write an Oz spec, which nobody wrote Oz specs because it was a very small niche show that was extremely dark and had no – the structure was was very different from most television shows. But we decided, hey, if we do an Oz, it'll stand out. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. Kevin Williamson, who happened to be an Oz fan, read it and gave us our first primetime job. Yeah. Um, Our friend wrote a dominatrix script that Mm -hmm. really stood out. So just write that one standout script, and that can launch everything. One final thing I just want to say to Jennifer is if you are writing screenplays, unless you're writing like a tentpole, it's (laughs) going to be hard to work. I mean, it just feels like there's so much work in television right now. Maybe she should think about doing TV instead of movies. Or like if you're going to write movies, be prepared to make your own movie you know, to raise money and make your own movie. I don't know how anyone else breaks into the screenwriting business yeah, it's these really days. True. We also got an email from Miranda, who is in London, mm-hmm. and she wrote us, I'd love to hear what your all-time favorite TV shows are and which shows you've enjoyed at different stages of your lives. Are there any which have been influential in your career choice, would you say? Mm, well, yes, I would say TV in general was influential yeah. in our career choice. I mean, what's interesting is when I was young, we were in Kansas City. We didn't even know that TV writer was a job. No, no just, idea. I just knew I loved TV. I would say like my first shows, I think for both of us, and this is our, an age thing, is yeah. The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those were defining shows of our childhood for sure. At the same time, my other defining show was probably Taxi, which is like completely oh, different. Yeah. I remember telling my parents, like, from now on, I'm staying up till 9 p.m. to watch Taxi when it's on. That was like my declaration of, uh, you know, now nobody gives me a bedtime. <laughs> um, but then, of course, as we got older, you know, and we actually were writing, then it shows definitely had an impact on our taste of what we wanted to do ourselves. Yeah. There's like a weird vacuum for me of favorite shows from like Love Boat Fantasy Island, <laughs> like through like my teens and 20s. I don't even know. I mean, I watch TV, but I don't even know what the shows were. Well, 90210 was oh, huge, well, yes. as we've talked about. Yes. Um, 90210 was the college show. Mm-hmm. I think that was the only show I watched in college. We didn't have TVs in our rooms. I mean, you had to go to the lounge down yeah. the hall to watch TV. Yeah. But everyone would gather around and watch 90210. And then that gap sort of ended for me, I think, with The Shield. Mm, yeah. I mean, we loved The Shield so much. We were huge fans of The Shield 
before we got hired on it. Yes, it was our favorite show. And that getting that interview because it was our favorite show was such a big deal and was so intimidating. Ugh. And I think what we liked about it is that it was so real, so gritty. We've always been concerned, being two women from the Midwest, that we'd sort of get pigeonholed into this soft place, which is why, again, we wrote this Oz spec. And I think we really were drawn to stuff like The Shield, like Oz, like The Sopranos, that had that edge um, and the complex, flawed characters. And so we loved that we were able to break out of our nice Midwestern gal image and write some of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then for me, the kind of the the most recent show that has had that kind of huge impact on me was Friday Night Lights. Mm, I just so loved good. that show. I loved everything about it. Yeah. And I think what all of these things, not the Love Boat and Fantasy Island, but to the shows that influence <laughs> now, it's like really about real characters having real dialogue about real stuff. Yes. Um, Would you say that's the case, though, with your favorite show, which I think I think your favorite show is Mad Men. Interesting, yes. My favorite show of all time is Mad Men. Um, well, there's certainly complex, yes. riveting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe their dialogue is a little better than most <laughs> most people would um, <laughs> say in real life. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about complex, riveting characters. That's what we aspire to. Yes. And relentless entertainment. Of course. Okay, Sarah. Lauren wrote us asking, would you implement a blog feed of things you reference on the show? Old pictures, memories, links to the places you vacationed, etc. I would love to remember the name of that place you went to in the desert with the crystal lady without having to go back and listen to the episode all over. I also wonder if you could make sublinks to people you've interviewed with their photo and contact, maybe a list of subjects you've discussed, some kind of easy access organization tool slash link without having to scroll back through your Instagrams or re-listen to old episodes. As much as I enjoy those two things, I don't have time. Thanks. Well, Lauren, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, all of this exists. Yes. It is done already. Yes, it is all on our website, happierinhollywood.com. We have links to all these things you mentioned, including the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa, which is where (laughs) the crystal lady was, Nancy. Um, So you can go to our website and there are links to everybody we've interviewed, to like things we've mentioned, products, which were not ads, but just products we love. Um, so you can go there and you can find everything that you want to find. Happierinhollywood.com. Yes. Um, Liz Lori wrote us a comment in response to episode 42. She said, I loved the episode and the notion of we want volunteers, not recruits. Four years ago, I moved across the country and have worked tirelessly to make friends. It's been a rough road and has taken me four years to be at peace with how everything worked out. Initially, I joined a meetup group, book club, and mom's group. Our family had a new family over for dinner every weekend for years. A lot of my investment in time and effort has not been reciprocated, but I've also gained some very meaningful and valuable friendships along the way. I recently decided to relax a little more and stop trying to work so hard to make friends. The real friendships I have made have been practically effortless. It's natural. I don't need tons of friends. The few meaningful friendships I've made are enough. 
Mm, yes, we discussed um, the notion of volunteers, not recruits. We mm-hmm. talked about how this is something we really apply at work, but that it also does apply to life, whether it's friends or like romantic relationships. Yeah. You want to be around people who want to be there. You don't want to have to like sell yourself either to someone you're trying to hire who doesn't really want to be there like a cast member or a writer or as she's talking about, you don't want to have to like grapple trying to get friends. Although I have to say, I'm so impressed with how proactive and just like engaged she was in the friend making process. Like, I find it really inspiring that she was doing all of these things, mom group, book club, meetup group, having somebody over for dinner every weekend. To me, that sounds like, I mean, that's a mountain I could not climb. And I'm amazed that she and her family did that. And I'm so happy to hear that, like, she has been able to make real friends yes. over that time. Yes. As much as you want volunteers, not recruits, you do have to put yourself out there, as yeah. we've discussed, which yes. she did. And she can um, show us that we should do more of that. Right. Exactly. And Violet's about to go to kindergarten, I have to mm-hmm. mention. You're going to be entering a whole new realm. And I encourage you to do some of the things Yes. That Lori did. Lori? Put yourself out there. Yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah. But also choose people who want to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, we also got um, an email from Claudia who had a suggestion that Mm -hmm. might help Lori and also me. Um, Girl Crew, she writes, is an app for women to make new friends. It started off in Ireland and is coming to Los Angeles soon. You can organize meetups, events, et cetera, and join based on where you're from. So I looked it up. It is in L.A. now. Mm. So Girl Crew, something to check out. Okay. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And then Claire had a question for me. She said, sorry to be nosy, but Liz, you say you don't cook. What do you and your family eat? Is it takeout all the time? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, It's true. I don't cook at all. Really don't cook. Um, Well, Jack has a nanny who makes him dinner every night. So he has like vegetable, meat, you know, protein. He has like a balanced meal every night. Um, Don't want anyone to be alarmed. (laughs) Uh, Adam and I, we go out many nights to dinner, which is a big problem and something we're trying to not do as much because of just weight gain. Um, But yeah, I often will eat cheese and crackers. I go through phases where I eat Jenny Craig meals every night or some or a Weight Watchers meal, you know, something you just heat up. 
and now Adam is starting to grill. But, but in truth, we've only done it twice. But in theory, we want to start grilling. That would change our lives. Like if we would just make like roasted vegetables and grilled chicken or something, I know it's doable. We're not doing it yet. We need to do it. Have we done meal delivery service? Yes, we have. But even that <laughs> falls apart. So it's a hodgepodge of what we eat. Short answer, yes, we eat takeout or go out to dinner. That I mean, that is basically what we do. It's not good. It's not good. Well, I will say, though, Jack is used to going out to dinner yes. much more than most kids are. And I think that's a good skill to have um, as a child. Yeah. Yeah. He'll have like sometimes he has second dinner because he'll have eaten <laughs> and then we go out and he right. has another dinner or he just sits there and um, looks at his iPad. <laughs> All right. Lisa emailed us. I Oh, this is interesting. I've become hypersensitive to the term guys lately and wonder if you might be willing to think about limiting it. I have no problem with fuck and whatever else, but I feel it's insulting to call mixed groups guys because of the way it diminishes women and asks us to blend in with generic men, subtly making us invisible. Hmm, interesting. I have to say I've never really thought about this. I think it's a really good point. And I do think she's right that there are so many ways that in language women are diminished. And this is an easy one to just tackle. I've talked about, I think, how I call Violet Buddy Hmm. because one time I called her Buddy and she was like, girls aren't Buddy, boys Hmm. are Buddy. And I was like, Buddy is a gender neutral term, my friend. And so I make an effort to throw Buddy around in my house with, with girls and boys. But guys is not gender neutral. No. Um, And I I think, I don't know. I think that Lisa's right. I think we should kind of adjust our language. Right. I say guys a lot, I feel like. So if I say it, point it out. Okay. And I'll point it out to you. You know, what we use instead. The thing is, if you are addressing a mixed group of Mm -hmm. men and women... Peeps. Peeps. Okay. Peeps. <laughs> Folks. Folks. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with some good alternatives. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Anne wrote, I am a mother raising four boys and wondered about some of the habits and rituals your own parents did with each of you to help you become successful adults. I admire you and consider you both to be successful personally and professionally. Why, thank you, Anne. (laughs) Did your parents push you to read, attend college, play sports, socialize? Did you learn instruments, volunteer, eat dinner as a family? Mm. Um, Well, first of all, thank you, um, Anne, for the compliment. To our parents, really, also. Yes. Good job, Um, parents. um, What I feel my parents did more than anything else was make me feel that I should like my job. They always presented a career as being something that interested you, that you wanted to do, that you would grow with. Um, a job. I never felt that I should get like a safe, quote, job. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the biggest thing. There wasn't a habit like, oh, you have to read half an hour a night and you have to do this, you have to do that. We really didn't have a lot of rules like that. It was more... A, um, an atmosphere. What's interesting is that I got the same thing from my mom, but in the opposite way. Oh, um, interesting. Like my mom didn't like her job. She might disagree if I, you know, if she was here, she would say, no, I loved it. Right. Um, I loved being a lawyer for the U.S. government. Um, but the 
sort of the feeling that I got from her uh-huh. <laughs> was that she really didn't like her job, and I didn't want that. Interesting. I so really we wanted at yeah. the same place because my dad loved. It yeah. seemed to like love his job. Yeah. So as you were saying, we we arrived at the same place in different ways. Yes. But I do think both of our families had a real emphasis on education and going to college. Like there was no like, are you going to go to college or not? No. Our family, that was definitely not going to college was not an option. And I mean, we went to a school and we've talked about the high school we went to. It was called Pembroke Hill in Kansas City that really emphasized writing, reading and writing. I mean, the idea of being able to write a good paper was I think the number one thing emphasized in the school, Mm -hmm. and I think that has served us incredibly well because we can just write a sentence. I mean, it's amazing how many people have a hard time writing a sentence, and it's all about writing a good sentence. A good sentence. (laughs) But it's all about just that early education of having writing drilled into you day after day after day. And a lot of that is reading. I mean, I think you learn as much, if not more, about writing from reading. Absolutely. And we read a lot. Yes. A lot. And as for sports, my dad wishes that I had played sports, but I sadly did not. It wasn't in the realm of what was going to happen in my life. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, Liz, Linda sent us an email about episode 37 where we talked about being underbuyers and overbuyers. You are an underbuyer. I am, unfortunately, an overbuyer. Um, And Linda wrote, This December I read an article in the New York Times by Ann Patchett about her year of no shopping and was inspired to do the same. Like her, I have made an exception for books, though I get most at the library. If I use up something, I can replace it, obviously, like toothpaste, but also running shoes if they lose their cushioning. So far, nothing like that has come up. I unsubscribed from all the ads sent by email from various stores. My inbox and brain are much clearer, and I am loving it so far. Wow. So that might be my 2019 thing. Do you really think you could not shop for a year? It's hard to imagine. I don't know. I truly don't know. I don't, that would be interesting. I, I like it as a challenge. Maybe a month. Start with a month. I, don't I think I a can't, month is enough. Well, I think if you're going to do it, you got to dive in. I don't know. I'm going to read the Ann Patchett article. Okay. I have several months to decide. Okay. But that could be my thing. You are such an all or nothing person. I know. <laughs> um, now, interestingly, Sarah, on the same topic, Debbie wrote in with a strong argument against overbuying. So yes. maybe this will inspire you. Yeah. She says... Just on an overbuying note, really sorry, uh, sorry, not sorry, to be a buzzkill, but overbuying has a real environmental and social consequences and a casual attitude toward it is jarring. I guess that was us being casual. Delivery people often work horrendous hours and CO2 is produced by the vehicles they use. There's the packaging, the criminally low wages that a lot of the manufacturers of consumer products pay their workers. The use of finite resources to produce items that people don't really need. A disposable coffee cup takes over 300 years to biodegrade. Every year, people throw away millions of tons of clothing that sit in mountainous piles or get shipped to Africa and disrupt the local economy. A great way of thinking about it is that there is no such thing as away. You never throw anything away. You just move it elsewhere where it becomes someone else's problem. Often people who don't have the funds or the agency to fight back. I'm not saying don't consume. We have lives to lead and they should be enjoyable. Just that consumption should always be mindful. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, point taken. (laughs) 
You are right. Yes. <laughs> well, um, looks like 2019 yeah. is a year of no buying yeah. for me. I'm sold. And Liz, next up, we will share two Hollywood hacks for this week from our listeners. But first, a word from our sponsor. Okay, it's time for a Hollywood hack. Actually, a few Hollywood hacks, all from you guys. Oh, actually, not you guys. I shouldn't say guys. You ladies. You peeps. Folks. (laughs) Erin has a library hack in response to episode 42. She says, Hoopla is a free app that you can download, and once you enter your local library ID card number, you can check out any ebooks, audiobooks, movies, or music that you could otherwise go get at the library and download them to your phone. I've been able to borrow tons of audiobooks to listen to on my commute without the cost of buying each copy. And since I never have time to read an actual book, it's an easy and cheap way for me to still feel somewhat well-read. So you still need to get a library card, but it's a nice way to borrow titles when you don't have time to get to the actual library. Genius. There is an app for everything. There truly is. I feel like my stepmom would really like that because she loves audiobooks and they listen to them. She and my dad listen to them when they're driving. They could just plug their phone into the car, have an audiobook from Hoopla, and have a great trip. Yes. Um, And then we got another library hack from a different listener, Angela, who wrote, just listen to the latest episode of Happier in Hollywood, which is one of my favorite podcasts, by the way. Thank you, Angela. When Liz mentioned that the smell of the library would be her signature scent, it reminded me that I recently heard about a candle company that has a candle that smells like old books. Mm. The company is poshcandlecompany.com, and the candle is called Dear Book Hoarder. Oh, my gosh. That's (laughs) hilarious. I love that. We'll have to order that for our office. Oh, my gosh. Liz, you might be getting that for what's coming first, your birthday or Christmas. My birthday. Okay. (laughs) And then, Sarah, we have a Hollywood hack from Janet about high heels. You know, I'm always looking for a way to be able to wear high heels. Yes. She says, Liz, I just listened to your podcast with Gretchen where you were talking about your high heel pain. I am a primary school teacher, and I wear heels almost every day to work. I suggest you try these insoles at www.vivianlu.com. I've read about them, and I have to admit that I was really skeptical, but they do help. They can be costly, so I suggest buying a bundle and using a coupon code. That makes them affordable. So it sounds like something you put in your shoes that really helps cushion because um, sometimes when I wear high heels, it just feels like I'm on, like, nails. nails. Yes. <laughs> it's very painful. Well, I remember leaving a Christmas party with you uh, this most recent Christmas. And, oh I mean, God. you were hobbling. Hobbling. Yeah. I was, like, clutching, like, the side, <laughs> like, the fence posts to try to, like, get to the curb to wait for my Uber. Yeah. And then the next day you were also miserable. Yes. So I'm going to try this, VivianLu.com. We'll link to that if anyone else wants to check it out. I will keep my fingers crossed for you, Liz. Thank you. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Huge thanks to all of our listeners for your incredible questions and comments. Thanks to Chuck Reed and everybody at Sancola Sound. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Live. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. 
We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Kraft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. really is going to be hard for me not to say guys. I know. Like, Dudes? But that's, no, that's, that's male worse. too. That's worse. Um, Everyone? Yeah. I mean, I kind of like peeps, but I don't know if it sounds like we're trying like, too hard. Like, do we sound silly? Yeah. This is going to take some doing. Yo, peeps. Yeah. We're going to have to <laughs> look it up in a thesaurus. Yeah. <laughs>